I don't know what it is about that intro package, but I just picture like a 1970s sitcom or something. Like a family's just going about the living room and smiling like the Brady Bunch. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. We're talking about the L word. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John. I'm the pastor here, and we are talking about love because it is spring and love is in the air. Right? We have a season right now that goes from Mother's Day to Father's Day, and it's just like spring has sprung. Love is in the air, and uh, I don't know if you realize this, but it's, uh, it's wedding season, all right? It's wedding season, and uh, yeah, love is in the air. And, and I'll tell you what, I would love to be able to, would you guys mind bringing the house highlights up just a little bit? I would love to be able to see them. I want to see you guys. There you are. All right, cool. Yeah, it is It is spring. Love is in the air. In fact, um, I feel like we're doing like serial wedding attendance right now. And, and it's, it's crazy. You know, we just came off of last year. A ton of people didn't do their weddings last year or get married last year. They wanted to put it off and wait. And now comes the deluge. Here come all the weddings. Going to be good for the wedding business. And uh, so we went to one last weekend. And then I uh, performed one yesterday. So uh, for those of you that don't know, Dylan and Kelsey Brewer now, uh, who are a part of our church and have been since the beginning, they got married last night down in Charlotte. All right, so we're really excited for them. They actually started dating right before they started attending here at the church. So this is an important part of their life and their relationship is their church family. And uh, they are also an important part of their life. They are massive Carolina Panthers fans, okay? They started the Cheer City Riot fan club here in Salisbury. They been part of the Roaring Riot down in Charlotte. They're season ticket holders. And so sure enough, wouldn't you know it, and their wedding, they were this beautiful venue on like the fifth floor of a building with this really nice terrace outside, big windows behind where the ceremony was done, and it is right next to Bank of America Stadium. So they got married, and the backdrop for them getting married was the stadium. So that's, that's an important part of their life and community. And uh, so it was a really, really nice wedding. It was a beautiful wedding, and all of that is great, but the, the best part was the commitment that they stood and they made in front of every Everybody else in front of that group of people. And weddings are interesting things because, you know, it is the only time or maybe the only time or I guess maybe one of the only times that I can think of when you stand in front of a group of people and you make a commitment for the rest of your life. There aren't many times that you do that, in particular to make a commitment to another person for the rest of your life. And that's an idea that for a lot of people is really exciting. And then for a lot of people, is really scary, <laughs> really scary, because you think, well, I don't know if I want to commit to them for the rest of my life, because I don't know what things are going to be like in 20 years, or 30 years, or 40 years, or 50 years, like, you're right, <laughs> you don't know, In my theory, when I, when I got married, my wife and I got married 18 years ago, and just to go, our anniversaries in a couple weeks, when we got married 18 years ago, was like, I don't, you're right, I don't know what's coming 20 years or 30 years or 40 years down the road, but I'd rather have her with me doing that than not, <laughs> so let's do this. And so we got married and, and committed ourselves together for the rest of our lives, and that's a, that's a big deal, and it's, uh, I, you know, we try to draw that out when I'm doing a wedding to help not only the bride and groom, who hopefully already understand that, but help everyone else there to understand exactly what's happening, because it's not just a ceremony. It's not just a legal ceremony. It's not just saying things or exchanging rings. It's a real commitment, a spiritual connection that is created uh, during a wedding. And so it's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. And for some, it can be an intimidating thing. Some people don't like the word commitment. 
which is understandable in some ways. It's, it can be scary. You know, we actually at one point we wanted to kind of help with this. So we thought we would put together like a support group here at church for people who would struggle with commitment. And uh, we just couldn't get anybody to RSVP. So never actually. Come on. Yeah. Jimmy's got me. All right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad joke, but it's a joke. You know, just take what you can get. Sometimes they land. Sometimes they don't. That's how it goes. That's the nature of comedy. Okay. I kind of knew that one wasn't going to land, but I did it anyway because you never know. All right. So yeah, we couldn't get anybody to commit because we, it feels like, so we have a society that seems to be pushing commitment further and further away. Like, like people are not encouraged to commit to anything anymore. People don't want to commit to anything anymore. And it's a little bit of a misnomer because that's not actually what's happening. What's happening is our, our, our culture, our society is teaching us and encouraging us to commit to ourselves, to commit to ourselves. And when we commit to ourselves, then we don't want to get entangled with all these other things because what if I get into this relationship with this person and I can no longer be true to myself? So that's, that's what our culture is telling us. But what I want you to hear is that commitment between people is incredibly important to God. And it's one of the foundations on which a healthy relationship is built. That a relationship without some level of commitment is really no relationship at all. And you think about something, we're not going to talk about marriage the whole time or anything, but you think about marriage as being kind of the ultimate commitment between two people, right? That's a high level of commitment, and that really matters to God. But every relationship that we have, even to our friends, we have a level of commitment to our friends that we either express or we don't express. We have a level of commitment to our church family, right? And how committed we are to that. We have a commitment. If you have a job, you're committed to your boss or to your employer. You know, you're committed to your clients. You're committed to your classmates or your teachers or your administration or whatever it may be. We're in relationships, and all relationships that are healthy have a certain level of commitment. And understanding how to value that, think about that, and embrace that is really, really important. And we've been saying throughout this entire series, we started last week, we're going to keep going all the way through Father's Day, that because God himself is love, because he is love, if we want to understand how to love, then we need to look at him. And we can see him all throughout Scripture. We can see him in our own lives. We can see Jesus, who is uh, the Son, taking on human form. We can look at his life and see how he loved people and what he did. And so we're learning to love from love himself. And one of the things that is incredibly important to God as a basis for a relationship or love is commitment. And I want you to know that God is committed to you. He is, which is so crazy because he doesn't have to do that. <laughs> he doesn't have to do it. He chooses to because he loves us. And the things that he says he's going to do, the promises that he makes, he is committed to fulfilling those promises, and we can trust him to do that. We look all the way back, we start looking back in Scripture, back through history, and we see a promise that God made to a man named Abraham. It's a covenant, a promise. And the promise that God made to Abraham had to do with his descendants and the land that God was going to give him and how he was going to be, a, they were, his people, his family was going to be a blessing to the entire world. And God made a covenant, a promise with him. And when God made that promise to him, Abraham could be confident and sure that God was going to fulfill that commitment because he'd made a commitment to him. That he didn't have to, he chose to. So that he and Abraham and Abraham's descendants could be in a relationship with each other is the foundation of the whole thing. Commitment is the foundation of the relationship. And Abraham had a son, Isaac, 
who assumed the leadership after Abraham, and, and God affirmed his promise and his commitment, his covenant to Isaac, just like to Abraham. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob who became the leader. In fact, his name was changed to Israel. Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. And so Jacob is, is uh, God changes his name to Israel. He has 12 sons. And roughly speaking, it's a little more complicated than this, but roughly speaking, his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. You ever heard that? Tribes of Israel. They're the 12 sons of Jacob, 12, the sons of Israel. Okay? And God affirms his covenant, his promise again to Jacob as well. And I want to read that in particular in Genesis chapter 28. All right, Genesis 28, verse 15. God is speaking, he's speaking to Jacob, Israel. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. It's just so competent. God says, I'm here. And the commitment that I've made to your fathers and the, is the same commitment I make to you. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. I am here. We are together. All right. So uh, Jacob, like I said, he has, he has 12 sons. And uh, one of those sons is a, is a guy named Joseph. You might be familiar with him. He has an amazing Technicolor dream coat, from what I understand. All right, that's Joseph. His brothers don't like him because obviously Jacob likes Joseph a little bit better than the rest of them, gives him the fancy coat, right? And um, so they, they sell him out, okay? He ends up going into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. Long story short, he ends up rising into power in Egypt to basically the second position next to Pharaoh. There's this big drought coming, and he gets put in charge of the program for storing up food for the years of plenty to get ready for the years of drought and famine that are coming. All right. So Joseph is basically in charge next to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he's changed his appearance and the way he talks, and he doesn't look or sound anything like he used to. And his brothers and father, his father thinks that Joseph is dead, but he's not dead. That's what his brothers told the father. All right. They come to Egypt because they hear Egypt has food and they don't have any. So they come and they don't know it, but they come into the presence of Joseph and ask him to provide for them and for their family food. And they don't even realize it's the brother that they sold out years ago. And he doesn't reveal it to him at first. And he says, why don't you send your father? Because he wanted to see his dad. <laughs> and send the youngest son, Benjamin, too, because he loved his, his youngest brother, Benjamin. He said, send him to me. Well, they don't do that. They go back, and Benjamin does come back. But they, when they come back, finally Joseph reveals himself to them so they know who he is. And he decides to forgive them. And he says, yes, you can all, call, all come on. Come on over. Come on over. You can live here. They find a spot for him. It's the land of Midian. They say, come on over. You can, you can live here. And uh, you can eat our food and all that. We'll take care of you. It's a really, really beautiful story. But that's how Israel ends up in Egypt. And they're there for many years, and the pharaohs, who were once kind to Joseph and to their family and to their people, change. Leadership changes, and eventually they become scared of these people because there are so many people from Israel that are now in Egypt. They're afraid they're going to overthrow them. So one of the pharaohs eventually decides that he's going he's to enslave them and force them to work for him. That's how the Israelites become slaves in Egypt. And eventually God decides that he wants to lead his people out and to continue to fulfill the promises that he's made to them. And so he raises up this leader named Moses. 
And Moses goes eventually, and this is, a, this is a very long story, very short, of course, but eventually Moses goes before Pharaoh, and what does he say? You know what he says. What does he say? <laughs> Let my people go, right? Not quite like that. And, for, and we also know, by the way, that Moses wasn't even the mouthpiece for the whole thing. Aaron was his brother. But nevertheless, yeah, it makes for a good movie plot, right? And so uh, you picture Charlton Heston, I suppose, saying that. Um, but Pharaoh does let them go and then changes his mind and tries to chase them down. That's when the whole Red Sea thing happens. But they do get out of slavery, and Moses is leading them out. They're supposed to go into the promised land, but because they don't have enough faith, they end up wandering in the desert for years. And Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land, but he has a leader that's raised up under him named Joshua. Okay? And eventually the time comes for them to enter the promised land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and uh, Moses has to transition power, the leadership, over to Joshua. And Moses wants to remind Joshua of the promises that God has made to them, the commitment that God has made so that he would have confidence. And so uh, we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is Moses speaking to Joshua as he's preparing to essentially hand leadership off to him. And Moses says, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. And Moses passes that torch of leadership to him. Moses passes away, and Joshua assumes leadership of the nation. And then at the beginning of the book of Joshua, which the book of Joshua chronicles what happens with Joshua, sort of at the helm of um, the nation of Israel, God speaks to Joshua himself to affirm the exact same thing. Again, this is in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God affirms his commitment once again to Joshua. And he says this, and this is, now this is English. This, we have this translated in English. God did not speak to Joshua in English. Joshua didn't speak English. Right? Hadn't been invented yet. I bet God could have spoken it if he wanted to, but he didn't. Okay, He spoke in Hebrew. And we translate this and it says, I will not leave you or forsake you. It's the same thing that Moses said to Joshua before. It's the same thing that God says to him after. I will not leave you or forsake you. Of course, that was spoken and said in Hebrew. Okay? And the Hebrew words that are used here are really interesting. And I think that leave and forsake don't get the full picture. You know, when we translate it into English, we have to try and take a whole word picture, an idea, and boil it down to a word. And sometimes it's just hard to do that. And so leave and forsake are good translations, but I, we need to give it a little more context to understand what God is really saying. Because when you do study the word, the Hebrew word that's here for leave, it's a word that gives the sense of sinking, okay, to sink, or to fall, or fall away, or to slip, or slip away. 
So when what we translate here, leave, what God says is, I will not slip away from you. I will not fall away from you. It's, it, it really gives the sense of something that is unintentional or unconscious. Like, I'm not going to let it slip. I'm not going to forget. Okay? I'm not going to let it slide. And then he says what we translate forsake. And the word that we have for there, that we translate forsake in Hebrew means to depart or to abandon or to leave, which is interesting because we translate the other word to leave. But <laughs> it means to leave. And it gives the sense of a conscious choice, an intentional leaving. So basically what God is saying to Joshua and has, and has said consistently is, I will neither slip away nor step away. You can count on me. I'm going to follow through on the promise that I made to you, and I'm going to follow through on the promise that I made to your your spiritual fathers as well. I will not slip away, and I will not step away. Be of good courage. Well, what what is Joshua's courage as he goes into this new land and fight these people that they were afraid to fight years before, by the way, which is why they didn't go in? As he's about to go into this land that God has promised, where does his courage come from? His courage comes from the fact that God said he will not slip away or step away, that he will neither leave him nor forsake him. That's where his confidence comes from. That's why he doesn't have to be afraid. This is such an important concept for us to understand when it comes to who God is. Because there are misunderstandings about God. There are people who think that God is disinterested. He slipped away. Like that even he created us, but that he's not involved in what's going on here. He doesn't care. He's not paying attention. He's not watching what's happening in the world. And he's not watching what's happening in your life. He's become disinterested in this thing. He's gotten bored and he's not paying attention. That is not God. That is not God. It's not in his character. He's shown that us, to us over and over and over again. He will not slip away. Some people think he has stepped away intentionally. Not that he got bored or that he forgot about us or anything, but that God has forsaken us and cast us aside and pushed us out into the abyss. And that is not true. God, God has neither slipped away nor stepped away. He is here. He's here, and he wants to give you the same kind of confidence that he gave to Joshua, the same kind of confidence he gave to Joseph, the same kind of confidence he gave to Jacob, the same kind of confidence he gave to Isaac, the same kind of confidence that he gave to Abraham. He wants to give you that same kind of confidence so that he can have a relationship with you that's built on that stable foundation and not fear and not insecurity. God will not leave, and he will not forsake I feel like the author of Hebrews does a good job of taking this concept and sort of putting it together for us. In Hebrews chapter 13, and, and some of this may not seem like it connects right away, but we'll, we'll connect the dots and make sure we understand what's, what's happening here. Okay, the author of Hebrews says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness, or that's jealousy or envy, okay? Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, and this is a direct quote from Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, which we read earlier, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And then in verse 6, so we may boldly say, and this is a quote from Psalm 18, which is written by David. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We're connecting dots here, okay? This is the, 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 the genesis of this, or the, the starting point of it, is God's commitment, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am here. I've made a promise to you, and I'm going to follow through on that promise. Now, he quotes back to Joshua 1.5, where God says this to Joshua. And that promise there was the Abrahamic covenant. It was the promise that they were going to have the land and descendants and bless the whole world and all of that. Well, when we look today, we need to ask the question, what commitment has God made to us? What promise has he made to us to establish the relationship with him that he wants to have, what's the commitment on which that relationship is built, that love is built? And the answer, the commitment, can be seen in the cross. The commitment God has made to us is that even though we have failed him, even though we've sinned and fallen away from him, he will forgive our sins so that we can be in a relationship with him now and forever. And he did that by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus took on human form. He lived without sin and then on the cross gave his own life for us, paying for our sin. That by the grace of God, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, believe that he saves us, he does. He will. And then he was put into the tomb, and on the third day he rose again, proving he has power over sin and death. And that if he can be raised to life, he will surely raise us to life. And that's a promise. That if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, you will be saved. And that's it. And you can have confidence in that. God says, I want a relationship. This is what I'm going to do. And you can take that to the bank. And because you can take that to the bank, you don't have to be afraid of anything. That's what the author of Hebrews says. He said, I will never leave you and forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, there is nobody that can take that away from you. So what do you have to fear from anyone? Nothing. The answer is nothing. Because our confidence and our security comes from our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So you have nothing that you have to fear. And then before that, the author of Hebrews said, So let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things you have, for he himself has said. So in that confidence, in that security, I can know that God is giving me everything that I need in order to be who he wants me to be and to do what he wants me to do. And so I don't need to be jealous and envious and think I need this or I need that, that or I lack this or I lack that. He will give me everything that I need. It's that relationship and confidence that allows that to happen, that builds that. And so we need to be able to stand in that. See, the presence of genuine commitment in a relationship builds confidence in the relationship. It builds safety. It builds security. It builds trust. But the lack of genuine commitment in a relationship builds fear. Because if you don't know if the other person is as committed to the relationship as you are, or you don't know how committed they are to the relationship, you don't know if you can trust them. You don't know if they're going to be here tomorrow. 
Well, we have to deal that within our relationships with people. That's the reality. Because, hey, people are people, right? But we don't ever have to think about that or worry about that in our relationship with God. God is here. He's not going anywhere. His promise stands, and it is true. So you can trust him. You can trust him. When Jesus took on human form and came and lived here, he showed us what it looks like. He showed us what commitment looks like. All the way to the cross where he gave his life for us. Commitment to the Father, obedience to the Father and what God wanted him to do. But also love for us. He was willing to do that for us and follow through. It's not just about making a commitment. It's about doing the commitment, (laughs) following through on it. He modeled it. God the Father, he's here for you. He's not going anywhere. And his promise to you stands. Jesus Christ is here for you. He's not going anywhere. And his offer to you stands. And the Spirit, he's here for you. He's not going anywhere. And his hope for you stands. Jesus promised us this. After he died on the cross and rose again, he spent more time, a ton of witnesses that saw him alive and spent time talking to his his disciples, and then he ascended to heaven. But right before he ascended back to the Father, he wanted to encourage the, the disciples. And so he said this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So he had this big mission that he wanted them to go out, that he prepared them to go out and do, and they were going to go out and do it, but it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be challenging. They were going to face persecution. And what he needed them to know as they went out on this journey is that they weren't going to do it alone. That they could always trust on him, trust in him, that he would always be there for them. He would always walk with them. So no matter what they went through, they were never doing that alone. They were together. And they could take that to the bank with him. When it comes to your relationship with God, you have nothing to fear. He is with you. He will keep his promises to you. He will do what he said he's going to do. And you don't need to struggle with him, with fear or insecurity. Let the stability of that commitment create the foundation of your relationship with him. And now, in light of the example that we have of the way that God loves us, we are to love other people in the same way. Which means... We need to consider in our life who we make and have commitments to. And we need to be sure that the commitments that we make and have with people, we follow through on. That we understand them correctly and that we follow through correctly. And now in relationships, there are all different levels of commitment. So it's not like, you know, you need to be like, it's not like you're married to everybody or anything, you know? Like, marriage is, is the one. It's the human relationship we have with other people that is, that is closer than any other, has the highest level of commitment than any other relationship that we have, or pretty close. 
But then we also have commitments to a lot of other people. We have commitments to, you know, you have commitments to your boss at work. You know, I think we've already talked about that a little bit. You have com- commitments to your friends or your church family or whoever else. And, and, and we need to make sure we make those commitments appropriately and not overcommit to relationships. And we keep things in perspective. But when we do make commitments, because those relationships need that foundation, we need to make sure we take it very seriously and that we follow through on those things. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men or all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The kind of love Jesus has for us. And Jesus' love for us is a committed love. So we need to think about our commitments. Genuine commitment drives fear and insecurity out of our relationships. So we need to be able to look at the people that we love the most, that we're committed to the most, and say to them, either with our words or with our actions, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to slip away, and I'm not going to step away. Because my father didn't do either with me, I'm not going to do either with you. I'm committed to you. And that's the end of the sentence. Think about it. I mean, think about it on a minor level. Think about your, your, your job, or maybe it's your school and your schoolwork, right? You have a commitment. You've agreed that you're going to do a certain thing, you know, for a certain period of time. You're going to put in the hours. You're going to put in the effort. You're going to do it the, 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 the highest of your ability. You've made that commitment. And if you made that commitment, don't slip away from it. Don't slide into, into being lazy or not doing that job to the, the highest uh, quality you can. Don't slip into taking extra time off or trying to lo- lower yourself to the minimum standard that's expected of you or whatever it is. And don't step away. Don't intentionally be like, yeah, I'm done with this job. I mean, you can quit if you want. That's a different thing. Then your commitment is over. But, but, but don't be like, well, I'm done with this job, so I'm just not going to put in the effort anymore. They don't appreciate me. They don't love me. They don't care about me, whatever. So I'm, I'm going to give a minimum effort. Don't do it subconsciously or consciously. Don't slip away or step away. If you have a commitment, fulfill that commitment. Fulfill the commitment. It is honoring to God regardless of what's going on in your job or what your boss is doing or whatever else. Honor the commitment. You think about something like our church family, and people make commitments to our church family, commitments to serve on teams or, or whatever it may be, you know, to serve in children's ministry or in the band or, or in production, or that's just the stuff that kind of happens, or uh, hospitality, you know, everything can happen out in the lobby or in the parking lot, um, you know, that's just stuff that happens here on Sunday, but people make commitments to that. If you make a commitment to that, follow through, do it. You say you're going to be there, be there. Like, we, we, we learn to trust each other. To know you said you were going to do this and you're going to do this and we can rely on each other. What that does, that kind of relationship where our yes is yes and our no is no. And when we make a commitment, we follow through and we're going to do it to the best of our ability. What it does is it creates safety. It creates safety within the relationship so that we can trust each other. So I don't have to worry about whether you're going to show up or not. I don't have to worry about whether you're going to do it to the best of your ability or not so that we can focus on the other things that are most important. It's like, a, it's like this foundation that we build everything on so we can, you know, the apostles needed to know that Jesus was with them even to the end of the age so they could worry about all the other stuff that was coming and not worry about him or doing it alone. We're learning to trust each other and to build this kind of relationship. And of course, of course, we think probably most and first about our, our family, family relationships. You know, kids in the room. You're committed to your parents. Okay? 
You didn't get to choose them, but you're committed to them <laughs> nevertheless. You have a responsibility to them. So I, I got one of mine sitting in the back row. So he just gave me a little gotcha. <laughs> you know, you're committed to them. And so fulfill that commitment. Your parents need to know that they can trust you, that they can rely on you, that they can depend on you. When you say you're going to do something, do it and do it to the best of your ability so that your parents learn to trust you because of that commitment that exists there. On the flip side, parents, if you have children, well, if, you've, if you're a parent, then you have children, but parents, you're committed to your kids, right? The, the, that was kind of a choice, right? So you're committed to your kids. You have a responsibility to them. So fulfill the responsibility the best that you possibly can. It's the way you express love. It's the way you help them feel safe. If they know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, if they know how you're going to act and how you're going to behave, and they've learned that they can trust you because they know you're committed to them, and you're not going to slip away, and you're not going to step away, that creates the safety in which they can grow and develop and do all the things that you want them to do. So be committed to them and follow through on those commitments. That is tremendously honoring to God because God does the same thing for us as his children. And for those of you that are married and have made that kind of commitment to somebody for the rest of your life, honor that commitment. Take it very, very seriously. God takes that commitment very, very seriously. I was doing the wedding with uh, Dylan and Kelsey yesterday. I said, I'm trying to drive home. And it's not for them because, well, we've spent a bunch of nights together doing premarital counseling, and we've talked a lot about this, and I know them, and I know the level of commitment they have for each other. But in many ways, when I was talking about it at the wedding, it was for everyone else, everybody else in the room who might be struggling in their marriages, who might be wondering about their commitment level and wondering what they're going to do. I want you to know that you stood, if you're married, you stood before God and you made a commitment. Take that as seriously as he does. Take that as seriously as God takes his commitment to you. It means something. And don't slip away from it. Let that happen. That can be a natural drift into trajectory in life is to slip away from that commitment, to let it slide. And certainly don't step away from that commitment on purpose. You have to know that you can trust each other. I told you earlier um, that Jess and I, we've been married for 18 years. And that's wild because 18 years ago, I was a kid. All right, I was 22 years old when we got married. I was just a kid. I didn't know anything about it. I, anything. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Like, I, I got a business degree because I didn't know. I, I went in... I actually, I actually originally went, I was going to be a math teacher. I thought I did know what I wanted to do with my life. And then turns out calculus isn't math, it's language arts. And so I couldn't pass calculus. And so I went and sat down with my advisor. I said, what do I do? And they were like, you need to change your major uh, or you're going to be going home. I was like, okay, so what do people do when they don't know what to do? And they were like, business management. I was like, that then. All right, that's what I'm going to do. So I graduated. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't really know who I was. I was just becoming an adult. You know, I was figuring things out. And I had this girl that I loved, and I'd known her for a year. And I thought I knew her pretty well. And we made the decision we were going to get married. We kind of knew it like the third night. That's a whole thing. But we got engaged, and we got married after a year. And even standing at the altar, I was like, you know what? Like, we're making a lifelong commitment right now but I don't know what things are going to be like in 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. I don't know how I'm going to change. I don't know how she's going to change. I don't know how our situation's going to change. I don't know any of that stuff. And so it was scary. I was scared to death because I was like, I'm making a promise right now, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep it. or Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But the thing I just kept coming back to was God is willing to be committed to me. 
And whatever happens in 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, I would rather have her doing it with me than not. And so I pulled the trigger and did it. And we got married. And 18 years later, when I think about the commitment that Jess and I have for each other, it is deeper and more meaningful than it has ever been before. And, and this is a case I don't often use myself as an example of, like, an example to follow. I try to be careful with that because <laughs> I'm a person. And, uh, but in this case, I look at our relationship, and over 18 years, I have never, ever, ever questioned her commitment to me. And I don't believe that she has ever, ever, ever questioned my commitment to her. We are not going to slip away from each other, and we are not going to step away from each other. And that, that confidence that exists in our relationship allows us to do so much more for God in our individual lives, but in our life together, because we know that if all else fails, we have each other, and we will have each other. And that creates a stable foundation in a relationship that's needed. And now in all of our relationships, we have to figure out what level of commitment is appropriate. And so we need to think that through in all of our relationships. How committed should I be to this? Right? We have to think about that commitment correctly. Because we can think about our commitments as obligations, or we can think about our commitments as opportunities. To think about your commitments as obligations is going to lead you to feeling trapped. It's going to lead you to be resentful. If you feel like I made this promise and I got to keep doing this just because I made the promise and I don't really want to, but I have to because I said I do or because I signed the paper or because I whatever. If you look at your, oblig if you look at your commitment as an obligation, it's going to lead you into feeling trapped. It's going to lead you into resentment. It's going to lead you into secure insecurity. It's going to lead you into frustration. The alternative is to look at our commitments as opportunities. Opportunities for safety. Opportunities for security. Opportunities for trust. And if we look at the commitments we've made that way, and we say, God is committed to me, and it creates a trusting, safe relationship with him. God is committed to me, and I know that he's going to follow through on what he says. God is committed to me, and because of that, I know that I can love him openly, and I can love him freely then I want that to be the tone and attitude of my relationships with other people as well. And so I want to encourage you to examine first your relationship with God. Do you have that security and confidence? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? That by the grace of God, you should be saved. Have you done that, and are you confident in it? And then look at the relationships that you have in your life, the level of commitment that you have. The relationships where there already is commitment. Well, how are you looking at that right now? Are you looking at it as obligation or are you looking at it as opportunity? Are you fulfilling the commitment that you have in your life? Is there someone in your life that you feel like you need to step up your level of commitment to? Is there someone that you, need, you feel like you need to give confidence to by saying to them, you need to know I'm committed to you and I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not slip away and I will not step away. Think about your relationships and the commitments that you have. And then ask the Spirit. In a moment, we're going to pray. And then we're going to, have it, we're going to do another song, too. And we can use all that time to process and let this settle in. 
Think about your relationship. Ask the Spirit to speak to you and show you where you need to step up in the commitment you have, where you need to affirm the commitment that you have, where you need to create commitment that you don't yet have. And let Him lead you into the kind of love that He models for you. Let's pray together. God, we come to you, and first of all, we just want you to know that we love you. We love you so much. We love you not just because of what you've done to us, although we're thankful for that, but because of who you are, because you are love. Because you are good and you are just. And so, God, we come and we say thank you for that. But also the fact that the love that you have for us led you to restore us. To send your son. Jesus, that the love the love that you have for us led you to the cross. Fully committed to us in our salvation. Willing to give yourself and sacrifice yourself for us. We thank you. And so, we stand in that love today. We thank you for it. I pray, God, that there may be someone here who receives it for the first time, who for the first time puts their faith in you. And by the grace of God, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you forgive them today. And that they can build a relationship with you based in that confidence to know that what you've said you will do, you will do. That they can trust you and walk with you. And God, as those of us that have made that decision stand on that firm foundation before, below us, knowing that you've forgiven us, knowing that you love us, knowing that eternity, our eternity will be spent with you, Help us to love. Help us to love the way you do. Help us to see in our relationships where we need to be committed. Where we need to lay that strong foundation. So that both we and the other person in the relationship can have the confidence to honor you. To build trust. To build security. Help us to see right now, is there a person, is there a relationship Is there one where we have a commitment to someone and we haven't been fulfilling it? Show us what that is. Show us how. We've slipped away. We've stepped away. Show us how to make it right. Show us how to repair the foundation. How to rebuild trust. Is there a relationship that you want us to step into a, a deeper level of commitment with? where we need to say something or we need to show something to another person so that they know we're here, that they can trust us. God, we want to love the way that you do. And we believe you're committed to us. And so we thank you for that today and we want to, want to thank you for your love displayed for us, the example, the model that we see 
We want you to, to rule in our life. We want you to guide our life. And we know that we can trust you. God, we're going to sing, and, and as we sing this song, we're going to sing about the fact that you never let us down. We're going to sing about how we want you to set the foundation in our life. And so I ask God that you would speak to us through your spirit, even in this time of music, and help us to see what you want us to do, to draw us into a closer, loving relationship with you. Hear the attitude of our heart today, God, that we want to love the way you do. And we're trusting you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.